week I talked to you guys about following instructions. And remember how I showed you that we need to follow instructions? We made pudding, and it didn't work, did it? Because I put too much water in, and it didn't. I want to talk to you today about another use for water. Have you ever heard of the word baptize? Have you ever heard that word before? Baptize or baptism? You do? You go underwater, yes, but you're not swimming. It's where it's it's a special thing that happens at church, and what it is is when you become a Christian, when you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and ask Him to commit to your life, and you begin to commit to following God and Jesus's teachings. Then the Bible tells us Jesus said that we are to be baptized, and baptizing is so it's. It's this incredibly cool, wonderful thing, but it's so misunderstood. And I'm going to be talking to all of the adults this morning about that, but I wanted to share a little bit with you guys about what baptism is and then read to you a story about somebody very special who was baptized. Now, this is what baptizing is. Like Audrey said, you have to go into water. But sometimes people are not able to get into water. Maybe they're in a wheelchair. Or maybe, sometimes you baptize little babies, and you would take a little baby and put it all under the water because they would choke. So sometimes you can take water and just sprinkle it. There's, there's even some special tools that sometimes pastors or priests use where they have a bowl, and they have this little metal uh, uh, rod that has a small ball at the end, and they put the ball into the water, and then they do this, and that's sprinkling, that's baptizing. My father-in-law, who was a pastor for 32 years, whenever he had a little baby that was being baptized, he would take a white rose or a white carnation, and the white color symbolizes the purity of their heart, the cleanliness of their heart, and he would dip it into a bowl of water. He had a beautiful little silver bowl that he used, and he would dip it into the water, and he'd set the bowl down, and he'd hold the child, and then he would just touch the flower with the water onto their forehead and say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And see, that's important. You have to have water, and you always have to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Some parts of the Bible say to baptize them in the name of Jesus, but the reality is you need to baptize them in God's name. It's not just throwing water on somebody, or pouring water on somebody, or putting somebody down underneath water. They have to be, it has to be done in God's name. And the reason for that is because when baptism happens, God does something really cool in our heart. And we can't fully understand or explain it in a way that makes sense to us, but we know that it happens. And so that's, it's called a sacrament. Have you ever heard that word before? That's a hard word too. Sacrament. Say that with me. Sacrament. Sacrament. Baptism is a sacrament. Communion that we do every week is a sacrament. We do sacrament. We do communion every single week. You can have communion every single day if you go to church every single day, but you only get baptized once. Interesting, huh? So there's something really special about being baptized if you only do it once. And a lot of times, if you're baptized as a baby, you don't even remember it. But it's still important and special. And so I want to read to you a story about a very special person who was baptized. This comes out of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3. 
Then this person, I won't tell you their name yet, this person came from the area known as Galilee down to the river called Jordan. And he came to a man whose name was John. And he said to John, I want you to baptize me. And John looked at him and said, No! Do you know who that is? Yeah. Who is it? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus was baptized. God himself was baptized. And when John tried to say no, Jesus said, No, we need to do this. It's important that we do this. It's God's plan that we do this. Because it fulfills all righteousness. And so John said, okay. And so he let Jesus come down into the river with him. And he helped Jesus go down under the water. And he baptized him and brought him back up out of the water. And you know what happened? Let me read you what happened. This is so cool. When Jesus was baptized, the heavens were opened. And he saw the Spirit of God coming down from the skies, looking like a dove, and sitting on his shoulder or on his head. We're not sure where, just resting on him. And a voice came out of heaven that said, This is my beloved Son, and I am very pleased. Isn't that cool? That is the greatest baptism story I have ever heard of. Not only does Jesus himself get baptized, and he didn't even need to be baptized because he was God, but he did it because it was what God the Father wanted. And when he came up out of the water, it says that the Holy Spirit of God came down just like it was a bird landing on him, and the voice of the Father said so that everyone could hear, This is my Son, and I am very pleased. And God does really cool things too when we get baptized. I've never heard of a bird coming down out of the sky and landing on somebody when they get baptized. And I've never heard of a voice coming out of heaven other than this time. But I do know that I've heard people say that God did some really cool things in their hearts and in their lives when they got baptized. So I want to encourage you guys, sometime if you haven't already been baptized, talk to your mom, talk to your dad, talk to your grandma, whoever you need to talk to, and say, I want to be baptized. Pastor Bob told me about it, and I want to be baptized. Yes, Miss Audrey. Uh, David was baptized. He was? Did you get to go? Yes. Cool. Very cool. All right, I'm going to pray with you right now. Jesus, bless these kids. Help them, Lord, to come to understand all of this. I know right now this is just stories, but Jesus, this is the truth that they need to base their whole life on. And so I ask God to let these foundational stories begin to solidify in their world and help them, Father, as, they, as they're forming their faith, to continue to look to you, to trust you, to believe in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, uh, are you going back with Miss Fawn? Or are you? Okay, cool. You're going to go back with your mom? Okay, that'll work. But you heard me just tell, now tell the kids that I was going to be talking to the adults about baptism. Well, let me explain what's going on. The church calendar starts actually, um, <laughs> excuse me, the fourth, four Sundays before Christmas Day. And so um, 
not Christmas Day, but four Sundays, yeah, four Sundays before Christmas. And so, um, so that's the beginning of the church year. So that's usually the last Sunday in November, the first Sunday in, in December. So we've already gone five or six weeks into Jesus's life because the church calendar as for, for preaching and breeding schedules, it literally goes through the life of Christ in the gospels. Now, what does that mean for us? That means that it is January the 9th and we're at this brand new year, but we've already gone through 33 years of Jesus's or 30 years of Jesus's life already because he's now being baptized this week in, in the gospel story. And then as the year progresses, we'll go through the rest of his ministry. But this week is set aside to focus on baptism. And so I wanted to, uh, I, I've done a lot of reading, a lot of reading and a lot of meditating this week on baptism. Because baptism, as I told the kids, is something that most people just aren't that familiar with. Because it usually only happens once in their life. And the reality is. You can talk to 10 different Christians and you'll get 10 different answers about what is baptism. I mean, I, I, in my reading, I was reading about the Methodist church and, and one of the, one of the commentators said, well, he said, I was at a meeting once where there were nine Wesleyan ministers and we were there to talk about the doctrine of baptism. And I heard nine different doctrines pronounced by those nine different Wesleyan ministers. And you can go from denomination to denomination and hear totally different things. We all agree that baptism is important as Christians. We all agree that it is commanded, demanded by the scriptures that Jesus himself said, make disciples and baptize them. That's that's a command right out of Matthew chapter 28. Excuse me. Um, but what is baptism? What does it mean? What happens? How do we understand it? You can get so many different answers from so many different people. And quite honestly, in my own life, in my own experience, I've had so many crazy things and so many different things. I will tell you, I told the kids, baptism happens once in your life. I've been baptized four times. And I'll explain to you what that means. Number one, I was, ro- I was born into a Roman Catholic home. And in the Roman Catholic faith, they baptize you as an infant. And their belief system is that when you are baptized as an infant, you are getting saved. You are being brought into the family of God. That's why when babies are born and have physical distress as a, as a brand new newborn infant, that's why there's a panic to get them baptized if they're not going to survive so that they can, quote, go to heaven. That's a very strong uh, belief system in a lot of faith, not just Roman Catholic. The Eastern Orthodox Church believes that the children, that ch- babies need to be baptized. Lutherans practice baby baptism. Um, uh, what was the other group that I, I studied? I can't remember now off the top of my head. Sorry. Um, but there's all these different groups that truly practice infant baptism. And they believe that infants get saved and are brought into the church, into the body of, the, of Christ, when they get baptized. Now, see, I was reared Roman Catholic as a child. So I was baptized as an infant. But then... Around the age of 14 or 15, I started 
questioning my own faith and what I truly believed and what I what I'd been reared in. And I struggled. And then finally, by the age of 16, I came to a personal conviction that I needed to make a personal confession of faith for myself, not based on my parents or the church that I attended. And so I truly came to Christ, if you will. I, I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I became a child of God and I was attending a Baptist church because that's where all my friends from high school who were all Christians were going. And so I came to this little Baptist church after I got saved because my friends said, well, come to church with us. So they're introducing me to the pastor and I always describe him as this little short fat guy. And this little short fat pastor came up to me and he said, well, boy, if you got bap, if you got saved, then you got to get baptized. Okay. So he scheduled me for baptism three weeks from then on a Sunday night. So I went home and I invited my family. Oh, that was not a good thing. Oh, that was not a good thing. My father lost it. You were baptized as an infant and that was good enough. What do you mean you got to be baptized again? And I wasn't allowed to talk about God or the church or anything in my home. I really wasn't because my dad was so upset. Well, three weeks pass, I get baptized. And I said that I got baptized four times. Well, this was the second baptism. The little short, fat Baptist preacher baptized me for the second time. And as he's bringing me back up out of the water, I baptize you now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. As he's bringing me back up, he drops me. So I go back down into the water. That's baptism number three. And then he helps me back up and I'm sputtering. And I get out of the bathtub thingy that they're at the church. And about two weeks later, my dad comes up to me after school. I'm at home and he comes up. He's gotten home from work and he said, Bob, I'm sorry, I really... I really responded poorly when you talked to me about your baptism, and I'm sorry about that. I, I would like to support you in this. When is it going to be so we can come? It was two weeks ago, Dad. Oh. And that was the end of it. He never encouraged me in my faith after that. He was embarrassed and upset and frustrated, and we just never had a chance to interact after that. So that was number three for me, number two and three. Well, then I joined the Air Force immediately after high school. And I was in the Air Force for about a year when I moved to San Angelo, Texas. And I met this really beautiful blonde woman who was the pastor's daughter. And I ended up falling in love and getting engaged and finally getting married. But while I was in that church and my father-in-law was my pastor, he was my mentor. He was helping me to discern my calling. He was the only man, the only minister I'd ever had in my life who truly mentored me in my faith. I'd only been a Christian a short while when I met him. And as we were talking about things one day, I said to him, I really feel like I got ripped off. He said, what do you mean? I said, I've been baptized three times already. He said, what? I said, I got baptized as an infant. It wasn't my choice and I didn't even know what was going on. Then I got baptized twice by this little short fat Baptist preacher who dropped me this after the second one. And so I went down for another one. And uh, but he never told me what I was doing. He just said, well, you got saved, boy, you need to get baptized. There was no instruction, no information. I just did what I was told. And I really feel like I got ripped off. And my father-in-law looked at me, and said, I'll baptize you if you want. You can do that. 
Sure, why not? Now, I will tell you, I told this same story in Bible college. You would have thought that I slapped the Pope. <laughs> because we don't baptize four times. You don't get re-baptized. There's no theological precedent. There is nothing in the Bible that can... Eh. My father-in-law, my pastor, my mentor knew my heart, saw my heart and said... I'll baptize you. I don't have a problem doing it again if you if it means something for you this time. If it's between you and God, of course we'll do it. Now we did it in a church service. We did it as part of a you know a regular worship practice. So I was baptized four times. But in my life, I only consider the last one the real one. Not because the first one wasn't real, it was a true baptism. And the second one was a true baptism. The third one's a joke, but you know, but the reality is I've I've truly been baptized three times for real and the fourth one I fell. But in that fourth one, it was the one where I truly felt like God intersected in my life in a powerful way. I can't describe what it was, but I know something happened, which goes right to what a sacrament is. In the Church of the Nazarene, we only acknowledge two sacraments. Other denominations, other faith groups have various numbers of sacraments, but in ours, we have two. One is the communion, and the other is baptism. And this sacrament, the, de the definition of a sacrament, is it is an outward physical sign of an inward spiritual grace. In other words, we do something or something is done to us and God is doing something in our spirits. Does that make sense? So when I take communion, I am partaking of a sacrament. I'm eating and drinking, but it's just, it's not just physical eating and drinking. Something in the spirit world is taking place. Some interaction between me and the Holy Spirit of God is taking place as I'm eating and drinking. In that same way, something incredibly depth, deep and intimate is happening between God and my spirit when I'm baptized. Now, that's the, that's the most that I can give you that's definitive and common, or not common, universal. Okay, definitive and universal. A sacrament is something that happens in the physical that is representative of or is complemented by something in the spiritual. And everyone who calls himself a Christian has to be baptized. Everyone. Now, when do you get baptized? And what happens when you are baptized is up for debate. And that's a little bit of what we're going to talk about this morning. And believe me, you're not going to walk out of here with a piece of paper that says this is what we do. Okay? I will tell you what I believe. I will tell you what I have learned. I will tell you what the Church of the Nazarene does. But as I said at the very beginning, you get nine Methodist ministers in the same room talking about the doctrine of baptism. And you're going to get nine definite different answers to that same question because it's it's hard to describe something that's nebulous it's like saying to somebody how do you know you're in love oh you'll just know what 
No, tell me, how do I know I'm in love? Well, I can't describe, I can't give you a definitive. You can't specifically say this, but you'll just know. Same thing with baptism. I can't tell you specifics of what happened. I can tell you something happens. I can tell you if you're not baptized and you claim Christ, you need to be baptized. Why? Because Jesus told us to. Because it was practice. If you, what we just looked at this morning in Matthew chapter three, John the Baptist sees the son of God, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world coming into the waters and goes, ah, no, 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 no. I should be baptized by you, not you being baptized by me. Don't you understand, Jesus? This baptism is a baptism of repentance. You have nothing to repent of. You've never sinned. And Jesus says, this is appropriate. This is right. In in the um, English Standard Version, it says, um, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. In order to do what God wants, we need to do this. I'm not, Jesus was not here confessing and repenting of sins and coming into right relationship with God because he was already there. He was already sinless. He was God. He is God. But it was appropriate for the human Jesus to be baptized as part of what God was doing. And, and this is where some of the theology gets a little bit askew, depending on who you're talking to. What happened immediately upon Jesus's baptism? The Holy Spirit of God was imparted to the human Jesus. Hmm. Is that something that we can take and say is a universal experience? I can tell you in the Church of the Nazarene, when I was going through Bible college, I was being taught our theology and I was taught that at the time that I become a Christian, I receive the Holy Spirit of God. But there are some who believe that you can't become a Christian until you are baptized. And if that's the case and you receive the Holy Spirit of God, well, maybe that's the spiritual transaction that's taking place at the time of baptism. Maybe the Holy Spirit of God is being imparted to the Christian at baptism. Hmm. Which kind of goes into the idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Both baptisms having the Holy Spirit involved. Now, I am not telling you that that's definitive. I'm just telling you these are thoughts. These are things that people chew on and try to debate over and try to discern. And (laughs) there is no definitive answer. So don't take it. And go home and say, this is what Pastor Bob said. That's where it is. I've been 40 years calling Jesus my Savior. And I never got baptized. That means I never had the Holy Spirit. I can't even claim to be sanctified. Because I didn't have the Holy Spirit in my life. Now, that's not what Bob is saying. Okay, I'm just saying these are things that we think about as we're trying to understand what's not spoken of. Okay, the Bible has some black and white things. and The Bible has some gray things. And we've gotten into the gray now. Of when. The black and white is you got the Holy Spirit of God. Black and white is you have a relationship, intimate relationship with God. But how, when, and where? Now, and let me give you a little for instance, okay? The Anglican Church, which comes from 
which is where Wesley came from. John Wesley was an Ang- a, the child of an Anglican priest. He was baptized as an infant. He, his theology of the church he was reared in said he was saved and was brought into the body of Christ at the time of his baptism. For those of you who like theological terms, it's called baptismal regeneration. Okay, you can look that up if you want later on on, on Google. Baptismal regeneration basically means you get saved when you get baptized. So the Anglican Church's theology is that when you are an infant, you get baptized, you're brought into the body of Christ, and you're saved. John Wesley believed and taught that. But John Wesley, in his own life, came to a point where he recognized that although he was baptized into the faith and a member of the church and a child of God, he had never fully experienced what it means to be truly a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ until his time on Aldersgate, where he found his heart, in his words, strangely warmed. Which meant for him, he finally came to an understanding of what it means to have a real, genuine faith in God and Jesus as his Savior. And the relationship of having his sins forgiven by, by and cleansed by the blood of Christ. And having the presence of the Holy Spirit of God with him. But his theology had been telling him for close to 40 years that all of that happened back when he was an infant and got baptized. So what was this? You see the dynamic and the dilemma this man is in? Because this is what he was taught, but this is what he's experiencing. And ah! So he evolved, if you will, in his theology and in his thinking. And so his teaching was, you can be baptized and not be saved. However, infants who are baptized are saved. What? 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 That doesn't make sense, Pastor. Well, it does if you think about it. Because one of the things about being saved is not sinning or being cleansed from sin. And how do we get charged with sin? Well, according to John Wesley's theology, which is what we own as our own, sin is a willful transgression of the known law of God. In other words, we know God doesn't want us to do it. We choose to do it anyway. Infants don't have that capacity. They don't have an, a comprehension or an understanding of an onus to a higher authority, to a, to a deity. They have no perception of a deity. So when they are baptized, they're pure in their heart. They're cleansed. They're clean. Kind of like, <clears throat> kind of like when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan, there was no sin to forgive. But at some point in that child's life, and it could happen as early as two years of age, something clicks in their personality and all of a sudden they got a personality that says, no, I ain't doing what you want me to do. I'm doing what I want to do. And at some point after that, and this is where it gets nebulous, God says, no, you will not. And the child goes, oh, yes, I will. And in that moment, they have broken their relationship with God through a willful transgression. And they are no longer 
in right relationship with God. And if they continue unconfessed sin and continue the path of unconfessed sin and rebellion against God and the church and the Bible, even though they were baptized as an infant, John Wesley would say they are no longer saved. So is it making sense a little bit where we're heading? It's possible to be a baptized Christian and not be saved. But it's not possible to be a saved Christian. It's not that it's not possible. It's not appropriate to be a saved Christian who is not baptized. Because the Bible clearly, clearly teaches that if you come into faith, you must be baptized. Now, we have lost a lot of why. Because back hundreds of years ago, if you were a a, a disciple being trained up in the faith, and you came to your pastor and said, I want to be baptized, I want to join the church, you would be put through a catechism of some sort, a training where you understood and were taught the theology of your faith. And you would literally, in some, it depends on which church you were part of, in some cases, you would have to literally memorize the responses. They would say, who is God? And you would say, God is blah, 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 blah. And there was a whole litany of questions that you would have to memorize the answers to, and you'd be tested. And you did not graduate until you could squarely and easily answer all of those questions from memory. And once you were graduated, then you could be baptized and join the church. And in some cases, that take years. Now, today's society, you come up to me and say, I want to get baptized. Most pastors go, okay, let's do it next week. Because it's not the same in the evangelical world as it is in some of the other con- uh, like faith groups and faith communities. And that's where it gets all convoluted because we have different thoughts and different ideas about what's going on. Excuse me. Um, I wanted to read one other thing. If you were to turn, you don't have to. I'll read it to you. But if you were to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, you would see these words. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not the result of any work that you do so that no one can boast about it. You see, getting baptized is an act and a choice that you make. But it doesn't save you. God saves you. Does that make sense? You receive your salvation by faith through the grace of God. God said... I have provided the remedy for your sin through the blood of my son, Jesus, and his death and resurrection. And as a result, you place your hope and your faith and your trust in that. And then God pours out his grace on you and you are now saved and entered into as a a member of the family of God, as a child of God. And as an act of obedience after that, you get 
baptized. See, that's pretty much the practice that we have. It's basically called a believer's baptism. There is a type of baptism called a pedo-baptism. Pedo-baptism is baptizing infants. They don't have a belief yet. They don't have a uh, system yet of, of theology. They are just being brought, baptized, entered into the faith, entered into the church, put on the church rolls, and that's the way that it works for that faith group. In our faith group, we believe in a believer's baptism, which means you already have to have a faith in Jesus and have a right relationship with Jesus before I'm going to baptize you. But our theology, I mean, and our practice says, and I'll read it to you right out of the church manual. <clears throat> this is out of the 2017 slash 2021 manual, which is the most current manual that we have. And this is the statement of our theology, our doctrinal statement on baptism. Now, as Nazarenes, we believe that Christian baptism commanded by our Lord is a sacrament signifying acceptance of the benefits of the atonement and incorporation into the body of Christ. Okay, so we are accepting what Jesus did for us and we are becoming part of the body of Christ when we get baptized. Baptism is a means of grace, in other words, from God, proclaiming faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. It is to be administered to believers, indicating their full purpose of obedience in holiness and righteousness. Aha! That's something we haven't talked about yet. I did say that you could be baptized and then choose to live a life of debauchery, but what the Church of the Nazarene's theology on this and the doctrinal statement about baptism is, is that those people who are baptized and are considered a member of the body of Christ are, uh, excuse me, are, we are only to administer baptism to those believers who indicate to their pastor that they intend to fully obey all the commands and demands of holy living and righteousness. In other words, I have made a decision as a human being that I believe everything that I'm reading in the Bible and I want to live my life according to that. So I purposefully intend to obey whatever it takes for me to be holy and to be righteous. As partners, as participants in the new covenant, now here comes the, the, the thing. This is the part that I wish that they would take out. Did I say that? Oh my goodness, it's being recorded. Shh, don't tell anybody. As participants in the new covenant, young children and the morally innocent may be baptized upon the request of parents or guardians. The church will give assurance of Christian training and baptism may be administered by sprinkling, pouring, or immersion. Do you know that one sentence about allowing young children and the morally innocent to be baptized is one of the most stymieing things that a pastor in the Church of the Nazarene has to deal with? Because when I get in a group of other pastors, they want to know, why in the world would we pass, we baptize babies? 
Babies don't know what they're doing. They can't proclaim Christ as their savior because that pastor's working out of a believer's baptism mindset. Others are going, well, of course you want to baptize infants because that's how they get saved because they're coming from a pedo-baptism mindset, the baptismal regeneration mindset. We are a blending because if you look at the Church of the Nazarene, we practice what's called the via media. In most of our practices in our theology, if it's if it's orthodox, it has to be, this is what it is. But if it's, eh, then we, we practice the middle ground. So we're okay with people getting baptized as infants. We're okay with believers' baptism. As long as there's Christian training going on and the intent is that you're going to live a purposeful, purposefully live a holy and obedient life to righteousness. So as a pastor, when you come to me and say, I want my grandchild or my baby baptized, what is my responsibility to you as the parent or the grandparent? My responsibility is to say, are you going to rear this child in the faith? Or are you just wanting to go through a ritual because that's what your family has always done? You buy a little dress, you put it on the baby, you get the water on them, you have a party afterwards, and then it means absolutely nothing for the rest of their life. Because then you're setting them up for being the unsaved, baptized human being who thinks they're a Christian, who thinks they're a member of the body of Christ, and thinks that they don't ever have to get saved because they've already been saved. And then they get to the gate of heaven and they find out that their name is not in the Lamb's Book of Life. So... That's why I struggle with child and infant baptism. Not because I think it's wrong, but my concern is, is this kid going to be reared to believe and to practice? I'll do everything I can, but I may not be here for their full 20 or 30 years of of raising. It's up to mom and dad and the grandma and the grandpa and the church community to make sure that these kids that are being baptized into the faith are actually brought into a real and genuine faith. And then sprinkling, pouring, or immersion. Do you know the consternation? (laughs) Jesus didn't get sprinkled. Okay. What do you do with a person in a wheelchair? Let them drown? I mean, seriously, come on, folks. Why, if we truly, and I'm not saying this as Nazarenes, I'm just talking as Christians. Why, if we truly think that baptism has to be immersion, isn't there a baptistry here in this this church and every church in this town? If that's what all Christians believe, that every Christian who comes to faith has to be baptized. And if we believe that it has to be immersion, why don't we provide for it in our physical structure? I don't know. Maybe because baptism is not that big of a deal. What? No, no, no. Baptism is a big deal. Let me tell you, Jesus himself had to be baptized. But it doesn't have to be immersion. It can be pouring. It can be sprinkling. And in the church of the Nazarene, we allow that up to the person being baptized. Because some people don't want to get into the water. Because the short fat or the tall fat pastor might drop them. You laugh. I got the water up my nose. (laughs) And my underwear showed because the white robe flew up. (laughs) Anyways, I've given you a lot. 
I haven't given you any answers. I've given you things to talk about. I've given you things to think about. But let me give you the, def the, the final defining thing. And this was, this was what was so cool when I was studying. Um, I hope I, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope I'm not finding it. Oh, rats, oh, rats, oh, rats. I'll just have to give you the synopsis. I was reading one of Wesley's sermons this week. It's called The New Birth or A New Birth. I think it's The New Birth. <clears throat> and he comes, he starts talking about his theology of baptism. And that's why I was reading that, to, to get Wesley's understanding of baptism. And one of the things he said over and over and over and over and over again, regardless of how you believe about baptism, when, when you practice baptism, who should be baptized, blah, 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 blah. He said, bottom line, you got to be saved. Bottom line, you got to be saved. You've been baptized, great. Are you saved? You haven't been baptized yet? Are you saved? You want to get baptized? Are you saved? You can see the very first question is, are you in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Have your sins been cleansed through the blood of Christ? It doesn't matter if you're part of a church. It doesn't matter if you're part of a fellowship. It doesn't matter if you go to Bible study. Are you saved? Do you know that you know that if you died today, you would get to the gate of heaven and your name would be found in the Lamb's book of life and you'd be welcomed with any, without any question? That's the question. Are you saved? Once you know the answer to that, then we can talk about whether or not you need to be baptized as an infant or as an adult or before or after you're saved and what happens with it. And that's what I want to leave you with this morning. We've talked about a lot of stuff, but the bottom line is, are you really a Christian? Are you really saved? Do you really have a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ? If not, the rest of it's fluff. That's what I want to leave you with. Let's pray. God, there are going to be people listening to this sermon on the internet and watching it on YouTube. And I pray, Father, right now that your holy unction, your Holy Spirit's power would translate through the recording out to the people who are outside of this room and hearing this sermon even at this moment. But Father, right at this moment in this space, I pray that if there's anyone in this room who does not have a right relationship with you, I pray, God, that, their holy, that your Holy Spirit would convict their spirit and convince them that this is the truth, that you loved us enough that you were willing to give your one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God, we thank you for that truth. And we ask God that you would make that real in every single person who hears this message. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, who's up next?